the Spirit speaks to one of the, the original twelve, Philip. And he says to him, tomorrow at midday, you're going to get on the road heading south towards Gaza. And this is, y'all know where Gaza is, the Gaza Strip today. It's like everyone talks about it. This is the same area. So he's going to head south out of Jerusalem towards Gaza. It's a long walk. And it's a desert road. This is usually not a good call to do by yourself. It's going to be deserted. It's desertous. It's hard terrain. But it's the end of the Passover, so he won't be alone. It's not that bad of an idea. So Philip's like, okay. Spirit says, do this. We're going to do this. So who is this Philip guy who's being sent out? Well, Philip is one of the original 12. He was called early in Jesus' ministry. And he's from a town called Bethsaida. It's this tiny fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. This place is as podunk as it gets. We're talking 600 people during the tourist season. Um, I think of Atmore. Y'all know where Atmore's at? Southern Alabama? This is like smaller than Helena. This is nowhere. And so this man is from this nowhere. And this little nowhere podunk town is an area considered the triangle at the time. In retrospect, we refer to it as the Orthodox Triangle. And in this area, the Jewish believers were very strong in their faith. It was very staunch, very serious. They follow all of the law, all like 320-some points. Like, it's a big deal. You live by this book. And as a young man in Bethsaida, in the triangle, you would have gone to school young, so Philip would have been around the age of six the first time he went to school at his local synagogue. And the first thing that the rabbi, the teacher, does is gives him his tablet, which he'll be writing on, taking notes and whatnot, and covers it in honey. And so you're like six years old, so this is just awesome. And it's all over you, and it's running and dripping places. And he says, okay, now lick the honey off. So you're, you're six years old. This is, this is awesome. And now it's everywhere, and you're sticky, and it's fun. But <laughs> and he tells him that Torah, the Old Testament, the Bible, the scriptures, is sweet like honey, and that he should enjoy it the same way as he's enjoying the honey, this incredibly sweet, delicious Thing. It's the most exotic thing that he's ever had. This is luxury. This is the good life in this honey. So from a very early age, this is the idea that's acquainted with the law, with all these rules. He learns to love it. And he would have been trained in the very specifics, the, what you can say, what you can't say, who you can touch, who you can't, who you can talk to, who you can't, what you can eat, what you can't, such things. They would observe the Sabbath in a very serious manner, like when Jesus says, if your ox falls into a hole on the Sabbath, don't you get it out? Philip wouldn't. <laughs> it's serious. You don't do anything. So he's brought up in this environment, and the ultimate goal of a young Jewish boy, especially in this area who's in school, is to become a rabbi. And so once you've made it through the levels of school and you've memorized the entire Old Testament, so that's it's about to there of the book. It's a lot to memorize. Once you've learned all of that, you would go to a rabbi, probably a well-known local rabbi who you tend to enjoy listening to and agree with, and you would say, Rabbi, I, I want to be one of your disciples. And he would basically test you. He would ask you all these questions, and it would be long and tedious. And at the end, he would either realize that you are the best of the best, the top of your class, and say, yes, come follow me. Be one of my disciples. But... If you don't, if you're not the best of the best, maybe you're really good, but you're not that top 10%. He would say, well, it's obvious to me that you love God and you love Torah and that you've studied very hard and that you're a great man. But you are not going to be one of my disciples. Go home and learn the family trade. 
And so when Jesus comes and finds Philip, what is he doing? He's fishing. He's a fisherman in Bethsaida in this little town. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't moved out. He hasn't become a disciple to be a rabbi. He is tending the family trade. So he's not the best of the best of the best. He has failed in this ambition. And Jesus comes along, a rabbi with authority, which is very exciting. You might see a rabbi with authority maybe once or twice in your life. These are guys with new teaching, new ideas, comes into town, and everyone's excited to see him. And he comes up to Philip, a not good enough, and says, come, follow me. This is huge. Philip gets a second chance at the thing that he wants most, and that's to be a rabbi, to be a leader. And so he follows Jesus. And he spends the next three years of his life learning to love this man. And you might have heard me say something like this before. When you spend time with Jesus, he will mess you up. And so (laughs) this is all a very difficult time for Philip because Jesus does not do things by the book necessarily. And so Philip has had to undergo these changes in thought and all sorts of what such. And it's been a long journey, but then at the cross, Philip disappears. He abandons Christ with, well, ten of the others at this point run away. Only John is left at the cross. So Philip leaves Christ when he's arrested and will be reconciled with him at the resurrection and will be there when he's charged to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so Philip is told, as he's coming back to Jerusalem by the Spirit, tomorrow at midday, you will go south to Gaza. He's not entirely sure what he's doing there, who he's supposed to meet. He just knows he has to go. Because when the Spirit tells you what to do, you do what the Spirit says. But um, <laughs> don't ignore it. Ask Jonah. But um, he gets headed south. He's moving down the road, and there's, some, there's a chariot. This person in this chariot has to be important, because this is a symbol of royalty. And he's probably traveling with a caravan, and it looks extravagant. And the Spirit says, Philip, go talk to the guy in the chariot. So Philip, not knowing what's going on, still kind of like jogs over to the chariot. And it's got to be a caravan. There's a lot of people. This is a man, and it tells us he's from Ethiopia, so he he doesn't look like Philip. He doesn't look like a Jewish man. He's a big black guy from Ethiopia. (laughs) And so Philip at first is like, this guy does not look like me. This is going to be weird. And he's running up beside him, and he's leaving from Jerusalem, same road towards Gaza, which is going south towards the connection to Africa. So he's hanging home from the Passover. So while he's not Jewish, he is an observer of the Jewish God. And Philip walks up beside him, and he hears him reading scripture, and he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. Do we have that for the screen? And what he's reading is um, out of Isaiah 53, 7 and 3, and uh, it says, Now this was the passage of scripture which he was reading, the African man, the chariot. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shears was silent or dumb. So he opens his mouth not, and in his humiliation he was taken away by distressing and oppressive judgment. He was not given a fair trial. They picked him up already knowing what they were going to do with him. And justice was denied to him. Who can describe or retell in full the wickedness of these people, this generation that took the Son of God and crushed him. For his life was taken from the earth, and his bloody body was inflicted upon him. They destroyed this man. 
And Philip has just seen all this happen. This is fresh memory for Philip. So he knows what's going on in this passage. And he asks the man in the chariot, do, do you understand what you're reading? And, and this Ethiopian guy's like distraught. He's like, how am I supposed to understand this if someone doesn't explain it to me? And so Philip begins to unfold this to him. And they, he gets into the chariot and they're rolling along. And Philip's explaining this gospel, saying, look at this. This is who this Jesus man was that you've been hearing about in Jerusalem that's been causing all this trouble. He came, and for you, he suffered this. He was killed by his own people. He came to his own, and they didn't accept him. And he explains Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins through Christ and this new life that can be attained. And the Ethiopian man, who is all extravagantly dressed and he looks very important, agrees. He's like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. The Spirit comes and shows him that it's true and he becomes a believer right there. And the text tells us that this man is very important. He's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. So he's got serious economic, serious social, and serious political power in his home region. So this guy's a big deal. A man from the palace of the queen has just come to know Christ. And for Philip, the little guy from Podunk, the man from Atmore, Alabama, yeah, I got some dogs. He, this man has just spoken to a man from Ethiopia, and to him, that is the ends of the earth. And as they're rolling along, and they're discussing this, they pass a lake or an oasis or a puddle. There's some water here. And the Ethiopian man says to Philip, look, there's some water. What's to stop me from being baptized? But the truth is, for Philip, a lot. Because according to the law, this man, a eunuch, so what's a eunuch? Um, for the youth they're here they're gonna like this one a eunuch is a man who has had his genitals removed all of them just went ah oh! in service to the queen you see he's living in the queen's house they just you know it's a trade so this man is a eunuch and according to the law a eunuch is excluded from the assembly the law is very clear on this point and as a good jew philip would have known this. And being from Bethsaida, he knows this very well. And as a good Jew, Philip would have seen this man as damaged goods and would have refused to baptize him on that, on that point. So if Philip baptizes this eunuch, he'll be breaking a serious rule that he was raised to revere and respect a rule that determines your standing with God. So this is serious here. This is a major dilemma for Philip. What do you do when your religion isn't big enough for God? What do we do with ourselves when the worldview that we hold, when the way we were raised, is too small for God to do what he wants to do in it? Because for Philip, baptizing this eunuch who has just accepted Christ is wrong. But the Spirit has sent him here for a reason. So what do we do? 
God puts people in our path for a reason. And maybe these are people that we're not necessarily comfortable with all the time. Maybe, maybe they're a different race. Maybe they look different than us. And we're just, we're not really okay with that. Maybe it's that guy who's, you can't stand because he's got that Obama sticker. You just know that guy listens to Glenn Beck every day and I'm not talking to him. Maybe it's the Indian guy at the gas station. You see him all the time and you know this man's not a Christian and he's nice. You know you could talk to him, but he's probably a different faith that we don't really understand. It would be awkward. And it's just, it's rude to share with someone who's outside. But what do we do with these people? We know that they've been put in front of us for a reason. The Spirit has led us to this person, but we're uncomfortable. Our worldview doesn't allow for us to talk to this man. God has given us not a spirit of fear. We can't be afraid of these situations. We need to go into them boldly. The scriptures tell us that Christ has given us a spirit of power and love, and those two are together. We are empowered through our love of Christ and that love that pours into us. We have to allow it to flow out to those in our immediate proximity, to our Jerusalem, and those we come in contact with, our Judea, and maybe those who we feel are kind of on the outside of us, be like our Samaria, and then there's those who are completely somewhere else, and they're the ends of the earth to us. And maybe, maybe for us to follow through with what Christ is asking, maybe we need to go somewhere else. Maybe what God is asking of you is maybe to leave where you're at, and go somewhere else. Maybe it's Birmingham from Helena. Maybe you have to go to Mexico. Follow Christ. He's going to lead in certain ways, and you can't let the prejudice, the old, the scariness get in your way. But who's our Samaria? Well, Samaria to the Jews, this was the like half-breed nation who they just, they're kind of oppositional. You just don't mess with them. Like Just leave the Samarians alone. But um, Christ has asked us to talk to these people. Who is that for us? Maybe, maybe it's that Mexican immigrant at Home Depot who you just—they're breaking the law, and I don't like him, and he's scary. Maybe it's the guy at work that just—he's annoying. We don't like him. It's, it seems oppositional to us. What about Judea? Maybe that guy who we see every day. Maybe small talk in the office. You pass at the soda machine. And you know you need to talk to him. You know he needs Christ. But I'd be uncomfortable. And maybe it's in Jerusalem. Who's our Jerusalem? Maybe we have a best friend who's not saved. Or someone in our immediate family who we know needs Christ, who we love dearly, but we, we could mess up the relationship if we talk to him about Christ. And we, just, we don't want them to be uncomfortable around us. So what do we do with this? What does Philip do with this African eunuch on the side of a desert highway heading to Gaza. Through the Spirit, Philip finds the strength to baptize this man. A man who, in the old way, was excluded from the assembly. Someone who he knows is on the outside. But Christ has made a way for the outside to come in. Christ has made it accessible to all people. And it is our job as the church to be willing 
to share this gospel with everyone we come in contact with. It's our job that when the Spirit brings folks to us, that we let them know what's going on. And so I'm going to close us up in prayer, and it's a dangerous prayer. Because when we ask God to, to bring people into our way, to bring people to us that need the gospel, he'll do it. It's rough. <laughs> so I'm going to close us in prayer, and we can gather. Father, we are so thankful for the chance to come and meet with you today. Thank you for Celebration Church. We love this community and we love what you're doing here in us and through us. Thank you for for the words of scripture that we can follow these stories and understand these men like Philip and the eunuch and how we see that when Philip steps outside of his comfort zone, that the gospel is allowed to expand and it leaves Jerusalem and Ethiopia sees the light. Please bring people to us who need to know about you. All we have to do is speak and we're obeying you. Bring to us the folks that we know who need Christ. Even if if that's not what we know they need, like maybe we think they're Christians, but we don't know. Lead them to us. Let us know what's going on. Give us the secret information that will give us the way into their heart. Thank you so much for being the God you are. We worship you for, for what you've done. We've seen you here with us in Christ. And we feel you working with us through the Spirit today. And it's such an amazing thing to be a part of. Thank you for your gift of salvation through the suffering of your Son. And for the spirit of power and love that you've given to us through our joining him in this revolutionary conquest for the earth. We're so thankful that you've pulled us out of darkness and allowed us to be with you in what you're doing. Because we know you don't need us, but we love to know that you want us. Thank you for everyone you brought to us today for all these wonderful people here at Celebration. In your son's most holy name, amen.